I know what you're thinking. Matt, this is all good information, but it doesn't apply to sprinting. Or does it? Dun, dun, dun. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 8 of the Learn to Run Podcast with myself, Dr. Matt Minard, pronounced Minard. If you are new, welcome. Here's how it works. It's pretty simple. You vote on the topic, and then I create an episode about that topic. That's it. Now, if you are a regular, thank you so much for tuning back. Glad to have you. If you are a visual learner, check out my YouTube for associated visuals with this episode. So what was the, the voted on topic? We're trying to talk today about running long distance versus sprinting. We're going to do a deep dive, breaking it down, comparing, contrasting, and we're going to go over the main differences. Before we get started, a little point of clarification, a little POC, if you will. When I say long distance running, what I mean is a 5K distance or greater. Think cross country. What I mean by sprinting is 400 meters or less. Think more track. So long distance, 5K and further, sprinting 400 meters and less. Okay, let's do this. What are we going to compare to? What are our comparable points when we compare and contrast long distance running versus sprinting? These are the topics that we're going to go over. We're going to talk about technique between the two. We're going to talk about pacing, strength training, cross training, shoes, fueling, everybody's favorite, how to get faster. And we're going to talk about common injuries between the two. So first things first, my favorite technique or mechanics, the way that you move. This is what I've been trying to hound, <laughs> trying to get the point across that ideally, ideally the technique, the mechanics should be the same. No matter what speed you're running, the technique, how you move forward should be the same. The three skills, arms are still swinging forward and back in sync with the legs. We're still leaning forward, hinging at the ankle, the ankle, and we're still gliding, leaving the ground and moving purely horizontal, push with a tush. But here's where the difference comes in. Same strategy, but just more, just amplification of those three skills. So I talk about the three Fs. When we go faster, going from long distance running to sprinting at a faster speed, we're going to use more force. We're going to push the ground back further. We're going to push the ground back faster and at a higher cadence frequency. So more force, further, and faster. I think back to my favorite example of being in a canoe. Before I said, all right, I need you to go forward faster. You're not going to change the way that you put the paddle in the water. You're not going to put the push the water any different direction. We're still the goal is still going forward, but you're going to push that water back with more force, push it back further, the paddle further behind you to increase the stride, and you're going to repeat that process on a more frequent basis or cadence or frequency. So more force, further, and faster. 
Same thing as if think about if you were cycling on a bike. You don't change your strategy when you go faster. You just might increase your gears when you push harder and faster, more revolution. So here's where I think the problem comes in. We see some of these professional runners and we try to emulate their mechanics. And for them, they're not sprinting. They're at their race pace. They're doing long distance. But the speed that they're actually running at would be our sprinting. So we try to emulate the same characteristics that they have at these faster speeds where we do see an amplification of these three skills, but we try to do it at slower speeds, which as we know, isn't as efficient. So we should see as you go faster, going from your race pace, going all the way up incrementally to sprinting, we should merely just see the lean start to occur more, further lean forward, the arm swing, the leg swing gets longer, push the ground further back, and then the frequency that that occurs increases. But if we try to have those at slower speeds, that's where we can become really inefficient. So ideally the mechanics are the same, just amplified when it comes to long distance running versus sprinting. What about pacing, pacing strategies? So for both long distance and sprinting, we don't wanna fatigue before the finish. For both of them, the goal is to not have too much left in the tank when you get to the finish line. And we don't want to bonk or run out of fuel or fatigue before the finish line. So typically with long distance running, the strategy is what's called negative splits. A lot of you already know this. Let's say you're running three miles. Each mile gets a little bit faster. Your pace increases, meaning that you're holding on to some energy each mile you're incrementally exerting a little bit more energy that way your last and final mile is your fastest versus when it comes to sprinting depends on the distance we have different energy systems different ways that we can create fuel or atp some of the energy systems work faster we can recruit them faster than others some give us more energy than others but the, the highest level, the level that we can use the fastest is it comes to all out exertion, high intensity. We can't keep that for more than 10 to 15 seconds. So therefore, if you're running 400 meters and you're sprinting and you're giving it everything you have in the beginning, physiologically, not just mentally, you're gonna bonk, you're gonna fatigue. So ideally splitting the run up if it's a 400 meters Splitting it up into quarters, first 100 meters, second 100, and think about timing it such that that final 25%, that fourth quarter, is where you give it absolutely everything you've got. So let's go with an example. So for long distance running, if you're running three miles, you might have it mentally set that every half mile, you increase your exertion by 5%. For example, first half mile, 75% exertion. Whatever that 75% is, my 75%, it's gonna be different than your 75% exertion. The pace depends on the day, the heat, the temperature, how you feel. You're giving still 75% exertion. The pace may fluctuate, but it's still your 75%. Next half mile, 80%, 85 90 and you have it timed out such strategically planning beforehand having a plan having a mindset 
that for the last half mile is when you go from 95 to 100% exertion. Versus with sprinting, we want to start a little higher. We don't want to start at 75%. We're going to miss out because it's a shorter distance. So we're going to start at 90%. First 100 meters, 90% exertion. Next 100, 95. Then 100. And then that final bit, that's where you give 110%. I believe it's David Goggins that says that when you mind, when you think that you're done, when you think you have given everything you have to give, we're really only at 40%. We still have 60% left in the tank. So a lot of times that's our mind's way of a defense strategy. It thinks we're in trouble. It's a defense mechanism, but we're not. We still have a lot more left in the tank. So that's where that last 100 meters, you can really give it 110%. So again, the goal between both is not fatiguing too early and incrementally exerting yourself more, timing it up such that the finish line is where you give everything you have. No more and no less. What about strength training? There's some key differences between these two if you're a long distance runner versus a sprinter. So we talked before, since the mechanics are the same or should be the same, the muscles that are responsible are also the same, but just an amplification. We're gonna recruit the tush more, push with a tush. Still pushing with a tush, but we're gonna use a higher level of recruitment, higher activation to produce more force. So with both, we're still using the same muscles, still working out the same muscles. And for both, ideally, we're still incorporating unilateral work, meaning single leg exercises. Because no matter what speed you're going, when you're running, you're always on one foot, one leg. There's never a time where both feet are on the ground. That'd be called, run, called walking. We want to make sure that when we're doing our strength training exercises, the specificity of training to have the best bang for our buck as transfer of skills, transfer of strength, we want to make sure we're strength training in that single leg environment, the way that we use our legs, single leg, when it comes to running. So both have the same muscles, both unilateral work, and ideally the final similarity between the two is ideally we're using body weight plus or minus resistance i.e. not machines. So machines are great, but it's a fixed axis. It's not always going to be how we use the joint, how we use the muscles in real life, the right angles. Like think about a leg press, if you're on your back, pushing the platform forward, usually we're vertical, we're pushing down, we have the components of gravity. So machines are great, but we're not great for running. We want to make sure we're using more plyometrics, more body weight, more squats, plus or minus dumbbells, kettlebells, resistance bands, but using more of our body weight plus or minus resistance versus just using machines. The other thing that will allow us to do is use our core more. The moment that we sit on a machine and we put our back up against a rest of a seat, our core, for the most part, turns off. We don't need that core to support us. We're just using the structure, the support, the stability of that seat. So let's go into some key differences. So when it comes to strength training for long distance running, it should be more of an endurance focus. Versus for sprinters, the strength training should be more of a power focus. What does that mean? So for endurance focus for long distance, think about it. We want to have the muscles work at a lower intensity 
for a longer duration of time. Same when it comes to the total time that we're running. So our exercises should emulate that. We can't have a high intensity, we won't be able to hold it out that long. So we want to have a lower intensity for longer duration of time, so lower weight, more reps. But when it comes to sprinting, we want a higher intensity, higher exertion, and because of that, a shorter duration of time. So when it comes to long distance running, and we'll go into an example here in a second, it's all about time under tension, T-U-T. You might have heard of TUT before, time under tension. It's the amount of time that the muscles are under load. So if I'm standing up tall, knees locked out, the moment I unlock my knees and start descending my body in a squat, my quadriceps are under tension. When I get to the bottom of the squat, they don't turn off, they're still on, and I return back to that starting position. The entire time the muscle is on is time under tension. If the moment I lock my knees out, I'm relying on the congruence of the joint, the muscle's not on anymore, then the clock turns off. So when it comes to endurance or long-distance running strength training, we want to make sure we're really capitalizing on that time under tension, lower intensity, lower loads for a longer period of time. Versus when it comes to sprinting, we want to have an element of speed to it. Not as much the time under tension, but the tempo, the speed. So back to that squatting example, I would lower myself down a little bit slower and then explode so the muscles are acting eccentrically as we lower and then concentrically as we raise up. When muscles act concentrically, they shorten, they produce power. That's that propulsion piece. That's what's going to propel you going forward is when the muscles are actively shortening. So slower on the way down, more explosive in the concentric portion when it comes to training for sprinting. The other thing that we need to talk about is rest periods. So for long distance running, think about how much rest you get. None, minimal, right? So we wanna have shorter rest periods between sets. And again, we'll go into an example here in a second. Versus sprinting, we wanna have longer rest periods. The harder that you work a muscle, the higher that you use it, it's going to require a greater amount of time to recover and to reset. Let's go into an example. Let's talk about a deadlift. I like deadlifts more than squats when it comes to running. Squats do help with handling hills, but deadlifts, I talk about run like you deadlift, not how you squat. Meaning deadlift is more of a hip strategy, more glutes, hamstrings, versus a, a squat is more quadriceps, knees, and ankles. So going over a deadlift. So if we're doing, if I'm an endurance athlete or a long distance runner, I might do three sets of 12 repetitions, slow and controlled, really working on that time under tension. And then I might take 90 seconds rest in between. So not a whole lot of time. Versus if I'm doing this for sprinting, I might do five sets of five, working on that tempo, working on that speed, that explosiveness, and have four minutes of rest between. I'm gonna put this a slightly different way and this is how I train and how I recommend training. It's easier to control and be a little bit more strategic with it. But instead of going for reps, going for time, literally time under tension, let's actually record that amount of time. So back to the long distance runner for doing a deadlift, 
if we're doing sets of 60 seconds instead of reps of 12, just say, all right, I'm going to do three sets of 60 seconds. Start your timer or your clock. For 60 seconds, you're just focusing on your form, the tempo, you're not counting, you're not worrying about the reps. And then when it comes to the rest, now because we wanna bias less recovery for endurance, maybe we're only recovering for 30 seconds between. Minute on, 30 seconds recovery and rest. Minute on, we're not allowing as much time to recover because that's not how we use the muscles of long distance running. We don't wanna allow a whole lot of recovery time. Versus when it comes to power for sprinting, we might be doing sets of 30 seconds because we have a higher effort and our rest ratio is going to favor resting. So for example, 30 seconds on deadlift work, two minutes off. That would be a one to four ratio biasing recovery. If we were doing 100 meters instead of 400 meters, maybe then I wanna do 30 seconds on and three minutes of off, a one to six ratio. And here's the key with all of this. When we say off, it's the muscle that we just worked, that's what we want to have recover. If you're like me, I can't just sit around. I need to be productive, I got stuff to do, I wanna get in and get out. So when I'm saying off or rest or recover, I might be doing an exercise that works a different muscle. I may be doing a plank, more of an active recovery, but the muscle that we were just uh, exercising, just focusing on, that is what needs to rest and recover. Let's move on to cross training. So cross training is a way that we can still improve your cardiovascular function, your heart, your lungs, ability to perfuse oxygen throughout your body, but without running. I always talk about if your heart is beating 160 beats per minute, it doesn't know or really care what exercise you're doing. It doesn't know the difference. But what does know the difference is your joints, is your body. So if we can find a way to get in these higher heart rate zones with less impact, that can be a good way to kind of stay under that injury threshold of too much too soon and allow adaptation and progress without having any setbacks. So for cross training, for long distance and sprinting, what they both have in common is we can use the same machines or same exercises. We could do Stairmaster. We could use the elliptical. We could use a bike, a rower, or swimming. What's the big difference between a Stairmaster and let's say an elliptical? If the foot is constantly staying grounded, and that grounded could be on a pedal, there's not a moment where that foot comes off and comes back down, that's less impact. So with the Stairmaster, you're taking your foot off and landing on another step, that is gonna be some more impact. So just keep that in mind, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but if you're someone that is newer to running or you're trying to mitigate how much load and impact that your knees take, you wanna pick something that has less impact, like the elliptical or even the bike. Let's get into some differences though. Similar to the theme of strength training, when it comes to cross training for long distance running, we wanna do a lower intensity, lower exertion, don't work as hard for a longer period of time. Versus for sprinting, higher intensity, 
shorter duration of time. So think to those bikes. You've probably seen some stationary bikes before. Think about doing 30 minutes consistent, maybe about 70 to 75% exertion versus for long distance running versus if you're a sprinter, having those bikes that have the handles with the, uh, for the hand, the arms, and you're going really hard and really fast. That's an example of how we could use a bike for both long distance and or for sprinting. High, high intensity, short duration for sprinting and, and lower intensity, longer duration for long distance running. Some other things that we can actually do that I like to kind of combine an element of strength training and cross training is playing around with the resistance of the machine. So for example, if I'm working on strength training and I'm a long distance runner, I may do the bike, but add some resistance. Let's say it goes zero to 10 or one to 10 for resistance level. I wanna maybe have it at a four and try to do that for the 30 minutes because if it was higher, I wouldn't be able to hold on to it for that long. That would be good for sprinting. So maybe level four for 30 minutes versus if I'm the sprinter, I might do that bike with some resistance at a level seven out of 10 and I might break it up. I might do 20 minutes, but do four rounds of five minutes and allowing some rest and recovery between. So five minutes on, two minutes off, and repeat that. The other thing to think about with cross training is the frequency. So we talked about cadence is a measurement of frequency. It's a measurement of how many times your foot hits the ground in a minute. Well, we can pick and choose our modalities or our machines of choice that cl more closely resemble the frequency of that of running. So an example. So if I'm on a bike, I may want to keep that. If I'm a long distance runner, I may want to keep the revolutions around what it is with running. Maybe 155 to 165. Versus if I'm a sprinter, I may want to try to have those revolutions be at 180 or above. So again, just think, well, what are the demands of what I'm doing? Big picture, zoom out. Am I running for a long period of time? Am I running for a short period of time? And how hard am I running? Emulating that framework for training, whether it be strength training or cross training. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. So for both long distance and sprinting, we wanna make sure they fit. First and foremost, if there's one thing that can, when it comes to shoes, cause an injury, it's a shoe that doesn't fit you. Mainly, if you think about length times width times height, think about a package if you're trying to ship something. If we're trying to shove a wide object in a narrow package, that's where a lot of times we can get in trouble. So if you're having a foot that is wider than the width of the shoe, that's where we can get in trouble. So for both of them, we do wanna make sure that it fits, but here's where the big key difference comes in. 
I'm all about protection, physical therapist, safety, protection. If you're going to be running for a long period of time, lots of repetitions, a lot of times where you're hitting that cement, I want to provide you to be provided with some more protection, some more cushion on the bottom of your shoe. So therefore, I want to have a shoe that has more forgiveness. I want that shoe to absorb some of that impact. But it's at a cost. There's an inverse relationship between performance and protection. If you have a lot of protection, if you have a lot of cushion, if you have a shoe that's absorbing that impact, it's absorbing that impact. We need that impact and that force to help generate speed. So if you're trying to run faster, if your goal is to really work on sprinting and getting fast times, you want a shoe that has less cushion, a little bit lighter of a shoe, less material. You can hit the ground harder, create more force. And yes, that's a higher risk of injury, but because you're only doing it for short bouts of time and allowing recovery between, that's where it's okay. So the difference is with cushion versus performance inverse relationship. And the other things to think about is the weight of the shoe. We kind of briefly talked about that. If we can get less material and it's lighter, that can help us with that turnover rate of having those steps, that step rate, if it's a lighter shoe. The other thing to think about is spikes. When it comes to sprinting, having spikes on the ground can help us to generate more of this friction, more backwards propulsion when your foot is on the ground, pushing the ground backwards to propel and to drive you forward, spikes can be helpful when it comes to sprinting. The other thing is zero drop. There's a lot of different opinions on this. This is where if you look at a shoe and you set it on the table and you look at the bottom of the shoe, if it's a zero drop, it's the same height all the way across. Think about old school Converse versus most shoes and running shoes have an elevated heel. The heel is built up a little bit higher. Well, if the heel is built up a little bit higher, one, that's going to be more material, so it may be a little bit heavier, so that might not be as conducive when it comes to sprinting. You may want a zero-drop shoe for sprinting, but when it comes to long-distance running, imagine right now if you're standing up tall, if we elevate your heels up higher, what does that do? It kind of pitches you forward. It kind of promotes this forward momentum. So having a heel for long-distance running is great. I recommend it. Sometimes we get into trouble for long distance running, having a zero drop, knowing if there's a zero drop, my heel is going to be sitting lower, more tension and stress through my Achilles for my calf. But if we're talking about thousands and thousands of steps, and if you haven't yet learned to take the jump out of your run, you're still bounding and not gliding, it's going to put a lot more stress on your Achilles and your calf. So zero drop, beneficial for sprinting, traditional 10 to 12 millimeter heel for more long distance running. How about fuel and hydrating? So knowing the primary source of fuel, we talk about these are what we, our body breaks down for energy. When it comes to long distance running, our primary source of fuel is fat. We're breaking down fat to get ATP. The issue with that, it's not an issue, but it's a slower process. You get a lot more bang for your buck. You produce a lot more energy, but the process of actually breaking that down is slower. And that's why it's more better suited for long distance running versus sprinting. We don't have time for that. 
our primary source of fuel is carbohydrates, phosphogenesis, glycolysis. Phosphogen is where we will produce ATP. We break carbohydrates or glucose down and we produce ATP. So knowing that, how does that apply to you? So when it comes to long distance running, we know that when we are burning fat, it's at a lower intensity. Well, if you're trying to run faster and towards the end of that run, if you're gonna require more energy, more force, that's where we will start to bias more towards carbohydrates. So it's a whole other worm of a topic with keto and all that stuff, I'm not gonna get into that, but just knowing that carbohydrates can be helpful to you towards the later part of a long distance run and when it comes to sprinting. When it comes to refueling water, the key here is we wanna make sure we're hydrating during long distance running and after sprinting. The reason for that is for long distance running, longer period of time we're moving, we're sweating, our body's cooling off, we're losing water, our blood becomes more viscous, more thick, our heart rate, our cardiac output has to increase, our breathing has to increase to try to get more oxygen throughout the body. This can cause fatigue. So making sure that we're rehydrating while running is important for long distance running. Versus sprinting, it's not as important. You don't want too much food or too much water in your stomach if you're going short periods of time. We wanna make sure we're hydrating though after. We're replenishing after. Next, how do we get faster? Need for speed. So long distance and sprinting for both, you can become faster by working on your mechanics. We talked about paying on the principle, the principle of moving forward. If we're spending money, it's not going towards that principle of moving forward. If we're exerting energy that's not helping us to move forward, it's wasted energy, paying on the interest. So learning those three skills of arm swing, leaning, and gliding, you can waste less energy and you can actually become faster immediately. So that's the case for both of them, long distance and sprinting. But then if we're trying to actually improve your VO2 max, your heart, your lungs, your ability to exert more energy without fatiguing, we have to challenge your body more and allow adaptation. So a great way to do this is doing interval training for both. Interval training is merely breaking up your running into different efforts, different exertion levels, and then fluctuating between those two instead of just having one constant speed. So I've talked before and I'll say it again, I like to use in my training plans personally and the ones that I create, I talk about three gears. Gear one, gear two, and gear three. Gear one, that's an effort or a pace where you can still hold a conversation, still talk. Gear two is a little bit more intensity where you can talk, but you can't hold a full conversation. You can get a couple words out between breaths versus your gear three is where you can't talk. You might be able to get one word out between breaths, but you need all the oxygen you can. You don't have time or the ability to talk. So when it comes to interval training, if we're trying to help improve long distance running, what I would recommend is going back and forth between gear two and then pulling back to gear one. So running a little bit faster than you're comfortable with, knowing you can't sustain that, and then pulling back and not walking, pulling back to that gear one. 
doesn't feel great right away, but if you hang on to it, your heart rate will start to recover. So I call that Cure 2 to Gear 1 is when you're doing intervals where you want to walk. You don't have to, you don't need to, but you want to walk. Versus if you're a sprinter, doing intervals where you actually need to walk. So example, gear three to zero. So we're giving it everything we've got or close to it, and then we're walking. We actually need to walk. We need to walk to recover our heart rate. If we didn't need to walk, if we just wanted to walk, that's not our true gear three. We have to increase or up the ante. So for long distance running, gear two to gear one, where you want to walk, sprinting gear three to zero or walking where you actually need to walk and then this is where we can start playing around which one are we biasing are we biasing the work or are we biasing the recovery we could do a one to three ratio biasing recovery 30 seconds on of gear two and then 90 seconds of gear one and over time we can start to flip that where we're getting a lot less recovery but this is a great way to help improve your pace improve your body's ability to handle uh, lactic acid and the byproducts of aerobic exercise. This can be a great way to improve your pace. Another thing for both of them that you can do to get faster is strength training. We talked about that. That is so important to get more push out of your tush. Having stronger muscles can help you to get more bang for your buck. You can do hill work for both. Working on hills, doing inclines. That can help strengthen your legs, and that can also help you improve your speed for both. And then finally is using cross-training, like we talked about. Whether we're doing high-intensity, lower, uh, high-intensity intervals for sprinting, or lower-intensity intervals for a longer period of time, what we talked about before, incorporating those cross-training and strength training into your routine can help you get faster no matter what distance that you're running for. So making sure that we're tailoring those experiences to what we talked about before as far as intensity and duration. What about some common injuries? This is where the physical therapist in me starts to come in. There is some key differences with this. When it comes to long distance running, what we tend to see, if we think about it, more repetition, thousands of steps, versus sprinting, it's a lot less steps, but a higher intensity we tend to see more joint and tendon issues for long distance running. And with sprinting, we tend to see more muscle injuries, high, high force. So common with long distance running, you've got knee pain, pain in the front of your knee, more with your kneecap, pain on the outside of your knee, more the IT band, friction syndrome, or you can have pain on the inside of your knee, which is more of a compartment or a loading issue from where most of the stress goes when we hit the ground, that's where most of the load goes on the inside of our knee. We'll also see commonly lateral or outside of the hip pain when it comes to long distance running. And we'll see a lot more Achilles tendonitis. Achilles is just an extension of the calf muscle. Tendons are how muscles insert into bones. So for long distance, high reps, that's where we'll see more of the tendon or tendonitis Versus when it comes to sprinting high forces, this is where we'll see an actual calf injury or calf tear of the muscle. We'll see hamstrings so often with sprinting. A lot of times it's that because we're sprinting, our stride length's increasing, we're pushing the ground further back, we're having a greater lengthening of our legs, greater amounts of hip extension and hip flexion. 
right before we hit the ground, the hamstrings have to work really hard to absorb, to slow you down. That's where a lot of times we will see these hamstring injuries is by sprinting. And then hip pain, anterior hip pain. I'm trying to kind of change the message of instead of focusing on the knee drive, you don't get a lot of power by driving your knees up. Focusing on driving down through the ground, the push to the tush. Going back to the example of the paddle in the canoe. If I'm focusing on, if I said, focus on driving that paddle forward in the air versus pushing that paddle further back in the water, where do you get your most bang for your buck? And you can only focus on one thing. If you're only focusing on the airtime, you're not going to create a lot of power. The force, the ground, is where all the magic happens. So we will see a lot of anterior hip pain because the hip flexors truly just aren't uh, created. They're not functional to really help produce a lot of power, power due to their anatomy and biomechanics of it. So let's do a quick summary. So technique, the same for both, but just greater or a higher amplitude when it comes to sprinting long distance to sprinting, running faster. We'll see more force, we'll see a greater stride, we'll see a greater lean and a greater frequency of steps. When it comes to pacing, both, we're trying to break that distance into segments with a progressive increase of exertion. Trying to match it up that you fatigue just at the finish line, not before and not after. Strength training, long distance runners, we wanted to have a lower intensity for a longer duration of time. Sprinters, a higher intensity, shorter duration. So focused on more of the endurance aspect for long distance running and focusing on more power for sprinting. When it comes to those work to recovery ratios, we're trying to bias the work, less recovery for long distance running. And we're trying to bias the recovery when it comes to sprinting allowing that adaptation or allowing that recovery to occur before we hit it again. Cross training, same story, lower intensity for long distance for long distance runners, higher intensity and frequency for sprinters. Fueling, the key was hydrating during the long distance running and after for sprinting. How we get faster for both is intervals. It's all about the intervals. For long distance running, we're trying to fluctuate between two speeds where we want to walk, but don't need to walk. Versus sprinting, we're trying to work at such an intensity that we do actually need to walk. Long distance, gears two back to gear one. Sprinting, gear three to gear zero of walking. Common injuries. Long distance running was more about the joints and the tendons, the poor hips and knees. And when it came to sprinting, it's more the muscular injuries, hamstrings, gastroc, and front of the hip type pain. Runners, I've got the Learn to Run Club. If you're looking for a training plan or military looking for training plans to help you pass your test, I've got you covered. 5K through full marathon. In the membership, you get included mechanics, the seven-day experience where you learn seven skills over seven days to get you to learn those three skills, where I break those three skills up into smaller skills. That way you can master them easier in a quick amount of time. Where I do have where you can learn the three skills in three days using the tennis ball reference. Clinicians, I've got courses available for you online. And if you live in Ohio and North Carolina, 
I've got courses live coming to you soon. 6, 7, and 8. June 7th at 8 o'clock, I'm going to do an Instagram Live where those of you that sent me your video, I'm going to do a quick live and break it down. I'm going to show you what I'm looking for and give some insights of what I might do to help you run more efficiently. If you want to vote on the topics, you can follow me on Instagram at learn.to.run or email me at info at learntorun101.com. That'll be in the show notes. And please, if you've ever found value with this podcast, please share it, rate it, review it with your friends, and just help me grow and to reach a wider audience. Until next time. Bye.